TD Asset Management welcomes you to this week's podcast. As a reminder, this podcast cannot be distributed without the prior written consent of TD Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of TDM Talks. I'm your host Ingrid McIntosh here at TD Asset Management and today we are talking equities. We've got a great discussion planned in a packed house. So not only am I joined by Justin Flowerday, head of equities here at TD Asset Management, also our co-heads of equity research, Vitaly Musinov and Michael Brown. Today we're going to be talking about some changes within the equity team, but more importantly, the outlook for markets, what we're seeing, and some of the key flexion points that may be ahead. So with that, welcome Justin, Vitaly, and Michael. Great to be here. Great to be here. So before we go too deep on the markets, I just want to frame up a little bit of the conversation and specifically for our listeners, remind of the size and scale of the equity franchise we have here at TD Asset Management. Uh, We have grown and continue to grow over the years. Many folks for a long time thought of us as a fixed income shop or a passive shop. But in fact, we manage over $200 billion in equities for individual and institutional investors. We have over 150 equity professionals managing those assets. And I think we've um, most recently made some adjustments, as we always do, to continue to scale for the growth that we're seeing in our business. So Justin, can you talk a little bit uh, to kick us off about some of the changes you've recently made within the equity team? Sure thing, Ingrid. Uh, And again, thanks for having us on. Great to be here. As you know, uh, investment excellence is at the core of everything we do. And and we're constantly looking for ways and evaluating ways to um, improve what we do, whether it's team structure or uh, processes or people. And a, a whole bunch of changes that we make on a, on a constant basis, you know, they, they're incremental and they don't get press releases, you know, whether it's in relation to uh, our screening process that the equity team uses or whether it's uh, in relation to portfolio construction or some of the, the, the changes we make to industry frameworks. It, it's, it's an evolution. As you mentioned, we made some changes recently and I would just frame that up as um, evolutionary as well, as opposed to revolutionary. As folks may remember, about five years ago, we purchased uh, a company called Greystone Asset Management, and uh, Greystone had a, a very capable uh, equity team that um, has been operating mostly independently. And with this most recent change, we saw an opportunity to scale up our equity research team. And we looked uh, at two teams that operated mostly independently, but had very, very similar processes, very similar philosophies. And we created one larger equity research team that will have two co-heads, Vitaly Mosinov and Michael Brown. And really, it is about scale. And it is about creating a team that has more resources to look around the world and discover opportunities in the global equity markets. Very, very, very excited to um, have both Vitaly and Michael as part of the, the leadership team. And they're both extremely capable and uh, have done phenomenal work and uh, looking forward to moving forward. And I think that really speaks to the scale and the depth and the breadth of the resource that TDS Management brings to the investment of assets for our clients. So I'm going to start with you, Michael. So you joined uh, back in 2010, joined Greystone back in 2010. Can you talk a little bit about your background uh, and more importantly, maybe, you know, what you are excited about when it comes to some of these changes uh, on the team. Well, firstly, I am still excited by markets after doing this for nearly 20 years or over 20 years. 
through some pretty turbulent times. I still enjoy it. I joined Greystone in 2010 and um, shortly after the launch of their international funds, and we became part of TDAM in 2018. Over my career, I've covered most sectors at, at um, various different firms. But while I've been most recently covering global financials and have been co-lead of the international portfolios for the last three years. In terms of this new path, I am most excited about being involved, bringing two successful teams together, the sharing of best practices and the potential benefits for the clients. I mean, that could be very significant and positive with our breadth and team of experience. I think the opportunities are massive and I'm excited to play a part in that. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Hold that thought on global financials. I'm going to be coming back to you later on that one. Vitaly, over to you. Same question. Um, what's exciting you the most about working at T- here at TDAM generally, but you know, we're in the new structure? Thanks, Ingrid. We've known each other for a long time. I'm now in my ninth year here. So I've had many times to infl- reflect on what it is that keeps me at the organization. I think it boils down to two things. The first is world-class people. Uh, the track record of performance at TD Asset Management and the ability, given the scale, to retain just the best people in every region that we operate is very special. We don't only get the best people, we also make them and help them thrive. We invest in those people and create opportunities for advancement. So number one, it's the people. Number two, it's the culture. And I would describe that culture as a meritocracy where investment excellence, as Justin said, is the North Star here. And so working in that culture for now nine years, every week, every year, there's a renewed excitement about coming into the job. And as I get to know Michael more, as I get to know the entire team uh, that he's bringing along, I'm seeing so many similarities about how they treat these pillars of investment excellence that have made us successful and also made them very successful. So a union of two great teams. Yeah, this is, uh, if you're not in this industry, it's not a job, it's a calling. It's, uh, It's in your blood. I want to go back to you, Justin. So you've been on the podcast a number of times. We're sitting here just past the midpoint of the year. What can you tell me about what we've seen in the markets? You know, for Canada, we're kind of flat on the year. We've had a bit of a a good run uh, on the U.S. side of the house. But what are you looking at for the back half of the year? And then maybe what what are you seeing or what are you thinking about that others maybe aren't so much? Right. So, you know, when I think about the, uh, the first half of the year, there's a name that comes to mind, and it's going to sh- kind of shock you, I think, uh, and it's Charles Dickens. And uh, my mother was a tale a, of two markets. A, a tale, a tale of two, uh, two cities, exactly. Um, uh, my mom was a, um, a huge Charles Dickens fan. So two favorite books were A Tale of Two Cities and uh, Great Expectations. But the opening line of A Tale of Two Cities uh, was mentioned in my household many, many times, and it stuck in my head. And it was, I might get this wrong, but it was something like. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. Something about the spring, something about the winter. But for me, this was the market. It was the best of times if you were invested in uh, seven or eight stocks, large cap technology stocks that generated 50% returns on average. Um, You were feeling really wise and doing really well. If you were in other areas of the market, not so much. And so, uh, you know, it brings us to second half of the year, what we are looking for. I would say the the biggest challenge right now for the markets is we've seen moves higher based on multiple expansion. And in order to continue that multiple expansion, you're going to need another catalyst. 
And uh, I'm not sure where that catalyst comes from. We've already seen sentiment move from really negative to really positive. The catalyst is going to have to be something like earnings, but I'm not sure we're at the point where earnings are going to inflect higher significantly. And so, you know, the, that's, that's, you know, thoughts for the short term. In terms of what we're thinking about that others aren't, I think I would point to margins, overall margin profiles across industries. The team's done a bunch of work and um, have, have reached some really meaningful conclusions in terms of what's driven this margin expansion over the last decade or two, where we've, you know, we've essentially moved from 6% net margins for the broader market to 13 and a half. So a massive increase in margins. And uh, a lot of it's related to uh, a few factors that probably aren't super well known. But what I'm struggling with and what I'm really trying to understand is over the sh next one to two to three years, how are the different factors that have driven margins higher going to evolve? And what does the margin profile look like two to three years out? And you know whether it's related to taxes or interest rates or um, the technology sector, there's a lot of moving dynamics that I feel like people haven't fully wrapped their head around in terms of changes that could come. And you're, you're bringing me back to a podcast that we, we recently did, Vitaly and I, um, along with Julianne and Julianne Faircloth, where we talked about AI and the intersection of artificial intelligence and capital markets and some of those impacts. Uh, for our listeners, if you haven't listened to that one, it's a great listen. Vitaly, how do you reconcile your views on AI with what Justin's saying? Can we sort of tie some of those pieces together? Because when we look at sort of investment themes, this is a big one. This is a big one. And at an index level, I think it's important to keep in mind what Justin said, that concept of timelines is, as we look out six months, 12 months, two years out, AI um, and what it can do for corporate margins is uh, not going to be a significant factor. So let's just start with that, Ingrid. Longer term, um, this is a big deal, and that's a lot of what we got into two weeks ago. But if we, again, just take a step back, first principles, AI, let's just call it um, in, in regular speech, automation. You're either going to allow companies to invent new products or services that they can then sell and make more money. And that'll be creative as long as they do that at a sufficient return on invested capital. Or it will allow companies to spend less money to maintain their current state of business. Now, let's focus on the latter since we're talking about margins especially. You know, as I pointed out last time we spoke, that I'm in the camp that believes, uh, I think it's out of consensus, that longer term in the 5, 10 plus year horizon, this will be the first human technological invention that is actually going to be destructive for the labor force and not a creative, won't create jobs. In that sense, there will be companies that come out of this as very large winners. They'll effectively be able to shrink their workforce and increase the labor productivity of everyone remaining. The margins will go up a lot. At an index level, we just don't know. And we don't know because the moment you begin to eliminate labor, you are handicapping the largest growth engine of the economy, and that is, of course, the consumer. And so we get into questions of public policy and universal basic income and a bunch of things that are impossible to predict this far out. But those are the kind of thoughts that we have going through uh, our heads at the moment. It's fascinating, maybe for another podcast, the social impact on all of that, you know, what what would have to be true for, for people to be able to pull back some of that productivity in their lives and put some more balance in. But that's an entirely separate conversation. That's not how it's going to play out. Again, great conversation. We've got to keep going down that path. 
I want to take the um, the narrative back to something that I think is on the mind of all of our listeners, and that is around monetary policy and what we can expect going forward. Michael, I'm going to put this question to you uh, first. Are we expecting a monetary policy U-turn in 2024? And if so, what does that mean for the market? Yeah, I mean, looking at monetary policy right now, basically, probabilities are split between whether it's going to continue raising pause in the near term. But I mean, the clear, clear takeaway looking at monetary policy, the focus is on the data. Assuming inflation continues to slow and there is further evidence that the tightening is working on the economy, ideally, it slows the inflation without putting us over the top. But with that and where rates are right now, it would be a logical step that as inflation slows, they could pivot to monetary easing to stimulate growth, which would be very positive, particularly with rates where they are currently. Um, reduction in monetary and cost of capital could be significantly beneficial for the economy. But yeah, it's clearly data-driven. So, But I'd say we're closer to the end. What about you, Vitaly? What do you think? I'll take a bit of a different angle on it. You know, I think back to period of the 2010s and especially late in the decade, what are the factors that we had, the structural factors in the economy that led us to a, a period of low rates and relatively low growth? And it's the aging demographics. It's the relatively high indebtedness of the Western world. It's the income inequality that was emerging and to some degree already technological disruption. To me, for all the changes that we've seen as a society over the course of COVID, I don't actually think the structural factors that uh, determine that neutral interest rate for the economy have changed all that much. So I'm certainly not going to be the person that you know, points the quarter uh, for a pivot, but I, I think we're, we need to go lower and it's just we need to play through these lagged effects of the current stance of uh, the Federal Reserve and other central banks. And that almost comes back to your comments earlier on, Justin, around what's the catalyst, right? What's going to be the catalyst for that continued margin expansion potentially? Um, okay, let's go a little bit to the lightning round, and I'm going to uh, give you one each here. Questions that you know we hear from our listeners want to get your your read on it. So I'm going to start with you, uh, Justin. First question on the lightning round: China reopening. It's been underwhelming, and when you think about what's happened in terms of the consumption of of goods versus services over the last. Uh, six, nine, 12 months in the world, um, there's been a shift from goods to services. And China is the manufacturing engine of the world. And uh, there's been a part of that economy just hasn't come back as quickly as you would expect. And so, yeah, look, they're, they're in a place where I think they're going to need to do something a little bit different to get that reacceleration. And I would argue that some fiscal, a nice healthy dose of fiscal stimulus is in the cards probably in the, in the nearest future. Michael, earlier on, we talked about your background and the sectors that you covered. My lightning round question for you, global financial health. Okay. Well, looking at global banks, I mean, the most important, this is the financial analyst in me, the most important thing would be capital and capital levels are high, allowing for meaningful whether it be dividends or buybacks to continue. In terms of credit, their well provision provisions are very high relative to a pretty conservative credit outlook, which is positive. Yes, loan growth is slowing, but with the higher rates, there's still quite a high degree of profitability. I mean, things look quite positive as things continue to grow. Most importantly for the states as well, uh, deposit flows have stabilized, which has obviously been a bit of an issue year to date. So that's positive. So 
I think things are quite strong and quite solid for global financial health. Follow up on the lightning round, breaking my own rules here, um, Michael, Canadian financials. I mean, with Canadian financials, same thing. Capital levels are high. Provisions are, they're well cushioned against credit. Uh, the big thing there would be the loan growth and outlook for Canadian housing. There still continues to be some growth, so that we see. But in the meantime, we get a positive capital return and um, potential for increased buybacks at dividend yield. So net positive there too. We heard Justin start the podcast this morning talking about the uh, the handful of stocks uh, that would have been the best of times. So my my theme for you today is technology or technology frothiness. Mm. There is some. Uh, there is some. Some we can we can start with valuations. Simply observe the Nasdaq 100. Those large 100 big tech companies. They're trading at about a 36 percent premium to the S and P 500. At the all time high uh, was 41 percent all-time high in the last 20 years. And uh, that's that's almost up there. And of course, that that high was back in uh, 2021. We know the performance through 22. So look, I think Justin had it right. We had a very big run. Part of that was because these companies were the first to go through a slowdown in a recession. They had the big earnings cuts, just starting really in Q2 of 22, when all the other parts of the economy were still chugging along. So they bottomed out first, investors bought them, but I'd say in many instances, they're getting ahead there, um, getting a little too far ahead. So I think this frothing is out there and you need to be very, very selective heading into Q2 and certainly don't bank on uh, that kind of outperformance. Yeah, and I think that's a terrific reminder because it's that, uh, you know, investing is a long-term uh, promise. The technology market, while it looks phenomenal year to date, we have to put in that last two, last three year perspective and we look at it that from that standpoint. Um, let's make it a little bit fun, guys. Let's uh, let's take the pressure off you as we wrap it up a little bit and give us something else to think about. What are you watching? What's your favorite streaming channel? And what are you watching? Vitaly, you first. I, I don't have Netflix. I have YouTube. Uh, everyone does, obviously. A short attention span. Okay. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly what it is. And uh, I just find that all the world's content, anybody can be a creator and put their videos, their creations, their thoughts, their energy on YouTube for free. And so I love spending time there because you can research any subject that you want. Um, a great channel that I recommend is Told in Stone. And it's this gentleman who's a historian from the US that makes short 10, 15 minute informative videos about ancient Rome, Pompeii, such things. It's very, very fascinating. But uh, I'm going to actually go and check that out because I got I got some geek in me. Um, Michael, you, what are you watching? Young children in the house. I don't have much control of what we watch. <laughs> it's a, lately a lot of Phineas and Ferb. Um, but I will say my wife and I are finishing off Ted Lasso, enjoying that on Apple Plus, and that's great so far. I cried when that was over. Ah, enjoy that. I'm, we've got two episodes left, so I'll keep you posted. I, I won't. No spoilers here. What about you, Justin? Recently, uh, very, very little television watching for me. The problem is I've got the opposite issue than Vitaly, and I think you said Netflix versus Disney, but can we say Netflix versus Disney versus Prime versus Paramount versus Apple TV Plus and every other service because we pay for them all uh, in my house, which is a problem. If I were to cut one, my kids have gotten older, I think it would be Disney Plus. And in terms of watching shows, the next one that I'm going to watch is season 10 of Alone which is a show about an individual, sorry, individuals who um, need to survive in the wilderness by themselves for as long as possible with 10 items. Is that just what you want to watch because you're living with teenagers at home? Correct. Okay. 
Can you choose the 10 items or sh- uh, from a list of 50-ish items? Yes. Is one of them a streaming service? Sadly, no. Okay, here's my last one for you. Vitaly, Twitter or Threads? Uh, Twitter for sure. Justin? Twitter. Michael? Can I say I'm on neither? Yes, you can. Do I do see Twitter through LinkedIn. So yeah, it'd be Twitter. Okay, great conversation, gentlemen. Um, always a pleasure. For our listeners, you can always find more of our podcasts on our website or on Twitter at TDAM underscore Canada and on LinkedIn at TD Asset Management. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day and, uh, and stay safe. The information contained herein has been provided by TD Asset Management and is for information purposes only. The information has been drawn from sources believed to be reliable. The information does not provide financial, legal, tax, or investment advice. Particular investment, tax, or trading strategies should be evaluated relative to each individual's objectives and risk tolerance. Certain statements in this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are predictive in nature and may include words such as expects, anticipates, intends, believes, estimates, and similar forward-looking expressions or negative versions thereof. Forward-looking statements are based on current expectations and projections about future general economic, political, and relevant market factors, such as interest and foreign exchange rates, equity and capital markets, the general business environment, assuming no changes to tax or other laws or government regulation or catastrophic events. Expectations and projections about future events are inherently subject to risks and uncertainties, which may be unforeseeable. Such expectations and projections may be incorrect in the future. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance. Actual events could differ materially from those expressed or implied in any forward-looking statement. A number of important factors, including those factors set out above, can contribute to these digressions. You should avoid placing any reliance on forward-looking statements. TD Asset Management Inc. is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Toronto Dominion Bank. Asset Management operates through TD Asset Management Inc. in Canada and through Epic Investment Partners Inc. in the United States. TD Greystone Asset Management represents Greystone Managed Investment Inc., a wholly owned subsidiary of Greystone Capital Management Inc. All entities are affiliates and wholly owned subsidiaries of the Toronto Dominion Bank.